Hello and welcome to another episode of Oconus, the Contractor's Life from Washington State. I'm Scott Dresser, your host. My guest uh, for this episode is John Reed. Uh, those who know him and worked with him call him Cal. Uh, he's a former law enforcement officer who transitioned to overseas contracting in 2005, uh, doing work at that time in Haiti. And then in 2009, uh, the transition was pretty much complete. Uh, he was now a full-time contractor out of law enforcement. He's been a staff instructor, a WPS assistant team lead, senior project manager, mobile team lead, global anti-terrorism um, assistance uh, diplomatic mission he's been on. And uh, he's still contracting overseas. So uh, with that said, folks, uh, John Reed, welcome to the show. Thanks, sir. Thanks. And... Uh... <laughs> I consider myself very lucky to still be contracting when you put it all that way. Like, like wow, yeah. it's been a long road. Oh, it has been, hasn't it? Um, and you don't realize it until you look at it and uh, think about it. Uh, uh, yeah, you've got a you've got a pretty remarkable career. Uh, the fact that uh, you're still doing it and you've done that much over those years uh, is pretty much a testament because a lot of guys. You know, one or two years is is, is enough. <laughs> you know, uh, well, there's some, there's some there's some wisdom to that, though. You know, I mean, uh, now that the wars have scaled down and scaled back, um, it's a lot harder um, to find good work for guys. You know, there there are a lot of there's some wisdom to doing it for a couple of years, meeting some goals, and getting out because, like I said, now it's it's hard to find good contracts, as you know. Right. So. It is. Um, they're still out there. Um, a lot of them, uh, they're not as many. Uh, granted, the numbers just aren't there, both in terms of contracts and people on the contracts. Uh, but uh, they're but they're still out there. They don't. Uh, a lot of them don't pay like they used to. Um, the rotations aren't quite as good. Uh, but there's still some really good ones out there. But they're usually with companies or sub companies uh that are you know that that peop most people that that don't know about they've never heard the name and you won't hear the name unless somebody you know has worked for them and usually because you're being you've been referred or recommended yeah that's so that is the plus side of if, if you love doing this enough that's the plus side of doing it for a long time is um you can establish a really good reputation for yourself and continue to work, or you can establish a really bad reputation for yourself <laughs> and, and not and not work. So it just yeah. depends on how you want to play it. I mean, there are a lot of contracts out there, but you know, I I think at one point you and I were talking that um, you know there are contracts out there that pay you know 175 a day, and yeah. you know it was just you know five years ago. Uh, maybe even four years ago, but it was at least five years ago where you still might find contracts that pay, you know, five, $500 a day. Um, but those are few and far between now. And, and the reality of it is, is yeah. So anyway, work, right. work can be hard to find if, if you're discriminating and if you, you know, if you know better. Right. Um, it's, yeah. Well, well, yeah. And if a lot spoil, of. Go ahead. Oh, just, yeah, and a lot of guys, uh, you know, when we, when, you know, guys like us would scoff at, uh, you know, 150, 175 a day, 
but I remember even in my early days, you know, there were some that were, you know, not far from that. And they were saying, well, you know, a guy that, that's unemployed or is flipping burgers um, that otherwise has the skill set is going to take that because it's a lot more than he's making now. And when you add in everything that he's not having to pay for, he's got no wife. He's got, you know, it's like, who cares? You know, he, he just jettisons everything and he's way ahead. Got his foot in the door now. So I'm just saying, so, you know, for guys that don't have anything else or there's really nothing going for them or, it, it, you know, it, or, or, you know, what we call starter contracts. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to look at it. But, I mean, so, you know, there's no way. I mean, I used to be approached by contractors. I mean, uh, not contractors, uh, recruiters, you know, for that stuff. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? Do you know how much I'm making right now doing what I'm doing? I don't think so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But what's but, funny is when you and I first got started in contracting, you really had you really had to know somebody. To yes. Get in, right. Yes. And then, and then con- contract recruiters, um, like, you know, once, once the hordes start getting into contracting and, you know, guys are getting out of the military, recruiters got wise and they started pulling the same tricks that military recruiters did. You know what I mean? Where they would, they would be a little vague on certain details, but really bring right. up other details. And then next thing you know, you, I've seen it happen. Guys sign up for, you know, a $200 a day contract and that's not what what at all they thought they were getting right um you know and so you know it, the, the game has changed for sure since you and i started um, oh yeah there's there's been a lot of changes you know it, it's funny you when you mentioned that uh cause, you know you and i and other guys we know have have had it both ways we've had the recruiter exactly what you're saying uh they were the slick willy um and you know after a time you, you can see and read and hear right past it and it's like yeah no thanks anyway but then we've also had the experience with the with the recruiter that's that's above board. They're right there. They tell you everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, because they want you to be a happy commodity when you get over there. Yeah, and a lot of those recruiters don't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I still talk to recruiters every now and again. It's it's pretty much word of mouth for me at this point. Right. And calling and, you know, making sure I do my paperwork and stuff. But the really good ones, the ones that'll just go to the wall for you. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're hard to find because wow. it's a numbers game. Wow. It really is a numbers game. Well, it's um, an important thing you just hit on too, uh, referrals at this point in your career. And, uh, I mean, guys like us, we, we, when we get work, whether it's here in the states or outside the states, it's usually because somebody we know told us about it. Either we asked about it or they called us up and asked us about it. Hey, are you interested? Um, but that's an important, uh, uh, point to, to, to hit upon. Um, uh, but that, that's, that's when you've done your time and you've got the, um, like, yeah, I think you said earlier, the reputation you've got, you've got everything it takes. And, and, and when people start calling you and asking you, that's when you, uh, you know that you've reached a milestone in your, uh, in your career, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so when I, so I have no military background, and I, I uh, started out in law enforcement. I had some SWAT in there. I was a, you know, a, a team sniper for a little while. Um, but when I got into contracting, if you were not a police officer from like a massively big department, like, like Austin or NYPD 
or LA. LA was a favorite for a while early on in contracting. Um, you were a piece of crap. Hmm. I mean, honestly, you really had to, you really had to, um, I don't know, you had a much rougher road ahead of you if you managed to get in somewhere. Um, and so when I left law enforcement and actually when I went to, uh, whips in 08 with BW, um, then it was on the heels of the Mesor Square incident. Hmm. And, uh, the whips course at Blackwater was a, was a vetting course. And I had one of the instructors the first day walk up to me flat out. He had my resume in hand, uh, and he just looked at me and said, you're Reed, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you're never going to make it. <laughs> I, like, I remember you told me oh, about that. God. Yeah. I was like, he's like, you will not, you're, you're never going to make it. And he had this look in his eye like he was going to be responsible to see to that. Wow. What saved me, what saved me was, uh, we had to do quals on the 249. And of course, as you know, uh, cops almost never get their hands on belt feds. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, I qualified the first time with it right out of the gate. Huh. Um, wow. And there was a young Marine who had done, he was in the class with me and he had done like two or three tours, uh, in Iraq and he was a saw gunner and he could not qualify to save his life. Huh. And so as this kid's struggling and I get done and I qualify, the guy, this is like three days into the class, the guy looks at me, the guy that told me I wouldn't make it, he looks at me, and all he does is just nod his head. He didn't say a word. His emotions didn't, he didn't express himself emotionally, just nodded his head like, huh. okay, all right. right. And, but where where I'm going with that is, um, and we, we've talked about this too, Scott, like when you start gaining an awareness of your own abilities relative to, you know, you hear, you know, things like SEAL Team, SF, Rangers, Army, Infantry, you know, all, all these things that as a cop with no military experience you hear about and you start seeing how you fit into, into that in terms of your own abilities and how they relate to others, you start to go, uh, you start to develop a little bit of confidence. Like you realize, okay, you know, I, I think I can do this. Right. And over time, that's where your reputation, but like, like your background fades away. Um, I've been on other contracts where, and this was years ago now, but uh, I had a guy walk up to me and goes, you know, I don't like the fact that you're here just because, you know, you're a cop and you have no military. Hmm. And um it was it was kind of like oh well okay you know i can't really change his mind i'm not here to change his mind i'm here to earn a living but by the end of, by the end of the contract we were like really good friends huh. um because you know it it doesn't matter it it can matter but it doesn't matter what your background is it's like how well and this is one thing i really love about contracting is it's how well can you perform and provide the service that you say you can provide to the client today? Right. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talked about this too for a minute. You know, one of the things that kind of separated me from law enforcement emotionally was that there's no incentive 
to be better uh, driving. And I think it's so unfortunate. My experience was that it was very difficult to get guys to buy into the idea that they need to be better every day. Mm. And they need to, they need to prove their worth and they need to prove their value every day. Um, and so when I got into contracting, it was like awesome because it like really spoke to me. It's like, okay, I'm expected to be the best I can be every day. Otherwise I'm going home. You know, you, um, you touched on some really good points, uh, that, that probably haven't, we've hearkened on them in the past with other people, but we've never really gone that far into it. And, and so I want to continue that. But before we do, Cal, if we can, for the folks that are listening that don't know who you are, I just realized we haven't told them really who you are, what you did, and your background uh, prior to becoming a contractor. Right on. So um, I got into law enforcement in 1994, fresh out of college, and um, I eventually became a, uh, an, an Indiana Academy certified instructor, uh, and I got into training. Um, uh, defensive tactics was my thing. I was, <laughs> I was doing a lot of judo at the time. Um, I absolutely love that. Hmm. So I started doing a lot of training. Um, and I also got on to our department SWAT team that I was on in Indiana. And, um, my transition to contracting, there were, there were like two or three things that happened simultaneously. The first thing was, is that the, the church that I was going to, they had a Haitian national pastor get kidnapped down in Haiti um, and it shut the orphanage down, shut down the whole mission organization. Hmm. The second thing that was going on was that I was also taking training uh, from outside agencies and places like Blackwater and meeting a lot of different people with different backgrounds. And then the third thing that happened was um, I just, started getting frustrated with my experience in law enforcement. Hmm. And so with the Haitian thing, we started uh, doing uh, escorts, kind of uh, security escorts for the missionaries back down to Haiti to get the mission uh, started up again. And while I was doing all this outside training and, and training with Blackwater and stuff, I started recruiting guys that I had met to help out with for this mission organization to go down, go down to Haiti kind of as like a, you know, do a good deed thing. And they got paid a minimal amount, but they got their, I made sure they got their travel and their food paid for and stuff like that. I, I made no money off of it whatsoever, but um, we all kind of cut our teeth in Haiti a little bit. And then um, law enforcement um, just, you know, I started to see the writing on the wall because for whatever reason, whether I was pushing too hard or it was bad timing, um, I was just hitting my head against the wall um, trying to get um, get the department that I was working for to a place that I knew in my heart because of the guys. I, I knew in my heart they could, they could get to if they just wanted to. Mm. So by the time contracting – became a thing. I, I mean, honestly, it was probably a good three years from the time uh, I made a commitment to wanting to go into contracting and the time I left law enforcement. And when I, so that included 
during that time, more trips down to Haiti. It included uh, going to that BW, that Blackwater Whips course in 08. Um, and then in 2009, I got a call from a Blackwater recruiter who had gotten my name from a buddy that I had made um, telling me about the Afghan Border Patrol gig uh, where we would go train Afghan recruits um, how to be Border Patrol uh, officers. And, uh, so when I got the call, like, Hey, we're ready for you. I, man, I, I took the opportunity and, and I got into contracting. And, hmm. um, from there I went from the ABP program, I went to WIPS, uh, WPPS2, I think is what they were up to at DynCorp in Erbil. Uh, and that was a fantastic gig. Um, and then from there, I got into the ATA program uh, because one of my clients in her deal was a training delivery officer for the State Department for for the ATA program, and I kind of got referred in that way. And then I've got I've done that. Uh, I've gone back to um, protection gigs. Uh, I did another protection gig in Kabul for a couple of years. And actually, I'm going somewhere with this because we were talking about character and reputation um, and and referrals. And then uh, I there's a story behind my leaving that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a story there. Um, but it turns out for the best. And then I went back to the ATA program. And then recently I've been uh, – I was doing until the regime change. I was doing uh, security for a construction company uh, building uh, the wall down in El Paso. Hmm. I was a team leader down there, and uh, we had to protect people, uh, people and things on that one. And that was that was a blast, man. Talk about education on uh, on you know the the immigration crisis that we have. But huh. um, we were tight. You said something, Scott, you said something about, like, character and, like, we were talking about character and references, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with the uh, security well, it, gig. It's college, everything if you want to get beyond the standard security stuff. I mean, even the standard security stuff, there's there's a lot of people there that shouldn't be there, and, and they only hang on to them if they, if they don't have the numbers. But, yeah, I mean, if you want to get anywhere and do this for any length of time, you got to have that, right? Yeah, and so yeah, and so the, culturally, contracting was very suspicious of uh, guys with law enforcement experience only and no military, and that goes back to what I was saying before about you know guys saying oh you shouldn't be here and you shouldn't do this and that and the other thing, and um, so in 2017, um, and Josh was actually on this. On this one, in 2017, I was on a contract in Kabul. It was a PSD contract, and I'll try to keep company names and people's names out of this, but um, I was on a contract where all our uh, uh, letters of authorization, our badging, everything expired all at one point in time. Have you ever been on contracts like that where you got to get that stuff renewed? Yep. Uh-huh. Like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> so every, every single I, I had gotten 
kind of battlefield promotions, if you will, um, to deputy project manager. And just as that happened, um, all my mobile guys, so I had come up through the ranks, all my mobile guys' licensing and everything expired all at one time. Huh. And I went to the program manager at the time, and I told him, I said, hey, this is going to be a problem. And I, I was told, well, this is why I hired you. You got to hammer this out. We got missions to run. We got stuff to do tomorrow. Well, it was no sooner after I talked to the program manager, the guys actually called me into the barracks, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, we're not, uh, we're not going to work tomorrow if uh, we don't get licensing." Huh. And I looked at them all and I said, "I said, is this your final answer?" <laughs> and they said, "Yeah." They said, "Yeah." They're like, "We'll do anything else." We'll do absolutely anything else, but we can't be asked to run the roads with, you know, weapons and all kinds of stuff um, that are sensitive items and run the roads of Kabul and expect to be covered if something happens. And I had enough guys on that detail with enough experience in Iraq that, you know, they they had seen uh, other guys get arrested and hung out to drive in the State Department and all sorts of stuff for for uh, improper licensing or, you know, minor episodes on the roads. And so I'm taking inventory of what they're telling me, and I went back to the program manager. I said, look, they're just not running the roads. They're not, they're not going to do it. They'll paint parking lots. They'll refit, you know, our vehicles. They'll, they'll clean them. They'll do anything else, but they're just not running the roads. Hmm. And he said, well, we'll see about that tomorrow morning. Anyway, long story short, is they didn't run the roads, and I got held responsible for it, and uh, I got home. Uh, I stuck to my guns on it. I, I basically fell on the sword for the guys. I was like, uh, I can't ask them to do something I wouldn't do. It's just wrong. And not only that, it's um, sent home. It eventually got called a burst separation with the company. That's how they spun it, because they knew they were in the wrong. But here's where I'm going with this. That was a really crappy, crappy time. That was a horrible time. The beauty of it was after I'd been home for like five, six months, I started getting phone calls from dudes I'd never even met, Scott. Hmm. Guys I'd never even crossed paths with. Encouraging me, telling me to keep my chin up, um, telling me that they would look for jobs for me. They would do their absolute best to help me out. Um, that uh, you don't find leadership like that anymore in contracting, which you don't. Mm. Um, I'm kind of patting myself on the back a little bit because you, you, you don't. I mean, it's too easy to find people that are willing to do do the job for nothing anymore. And um, it really came out to the fact. Like, so I go back to the times when, like, you know, I was told you're never going to make it or you shouldn't even be here. And, you know, to come full circle to that particular incident, and right. it's like, wow, you know what? That's that's old school leadership right there. Like, you were looking out for the contract. You were looking out for the guys. And, yeah, you, you took the ass end of it, but you did the right thing. And, you know, that's where I try to land with with this. I mean, your reputation goes with you everywhere. And if you try to do the right thing, uh, you'll just keep getting work, and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to take the hundred and fifty dollar a day contracts if you don't want. Right. Um, 
but you may if you if you're just trying to get into it <laughs> over over time. But that but that sort of thing follows you. Is you know when you're willing to stand up for the guys and 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 um, take the hits, you know. Well, it definitely does, and and that is an important um, uh, top. Uh, uh, topic point there that when we talk about leadership uh, you know that's come up over the course of years uh, for a lot of things but I mean just because you're in a leadership position just because you're a manager or just because you're an executive doesn't make you a leader Uh, because uh, leaders you know not only get out there and do it themselves uh, but they don't ask the guys to do things that they haven't done or wouldn't do themselves uh, you know, and, and the leader stands up and, and, and takes the slings and the arrows uh, for the for the people under his uh, his command, uh, you know, and, you know, depending on circumstances, you'll either come out just fine or you won't. But you always will maintain what you just said, which will always serve you in the end, because guys remember that. Because they've had too many guys that didn't do what you just did, and they'll remember that, and they'll work for you again. They'll refer you. They'll recommend you, and uh, because you got their back, you're you're doing your job so they can do theirs. Yeah, yeah, and it, I, I tell you what, and it, this we, we this is kind of another thing that we had kind of discussed. You and I had discussed. You never know. You never. If there's one thing that I could pass on to like my own kids or anybody's kids or even people, you know, just younger, you always need to consider that there are always people watching you. Yep. There are always people watching you and, and you never know who it is that's going to have your back later on because you had theirs. That's, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just being so, a good, so the, honest, upright person, you know, you, yeah, keeping your so head the, down, the do your down, job. Yeah. The, the job down at the border that I've been doing um, came as a direct result of one of, and I don't mean it this way, but one of my subordinates, one of my, uh, one of my uh, team guys, um, he remembered me and he had told his dad who was in charge of this contract down at the border, he had told his dad about me like years ago. Hmm. And so I get a call. So that happened in 2017. I get this random call from this guy I don't even know. He and I are good, good friends now. From this random guy I don't even know, except by last name. And I'm like, oh, so you're his dad. He's like, yeah, yeah, he worked for you back in Kabul. And uh, he's like, I've got an opportunity for you. And it was entirely based upon what his son had told me about what I did in Afghanistan. And I was like, they're, they're right there. That's money. And it's not, not as this, the story, I just happened to be in the story, but the story's not about me. The story I'm trying to tell is that you're, when you're contracting, you're in a people business. I mean, yeah, you can talk about boots on the ground reports and, you know, pay per day or daily rate, you know, leave rotations, all this other stuff, right? But you never, you never know who's watching and you never know who you're going to make an impression on. Um, and, and this is why, you know, it, 
you just got to, there, there is merit to being not only professional and proficient and good at what you're doing, but there's merit to um, just being a dang good human being while you're doing it. Well, you know, um, you, you are absolutely correct. And, and I know there's plenty of guys out there that have had an experience, at least one experience where that, that harkens to what you're saying. And we've all had them. I've had my share of them. And one of them uh, was when I was in Baghdad and, and I was deported, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> for lack of a better you were deported term. Deported? <laughs> <laughs> just going to leave it at that, man. I made it back a week later. It took a full seven days, okay? And I had to go to, uh, um, was it Beirut, uh, the embassy there, uh, to get things straightened up before I could come back. But the point I'm making is that doing my job, Based on this things, some of the things you're t- you've talked about, you know, where you're talking about leadership, um, ethics, uh, being there every day, getting up and getting there before everybody else, sticking around until the job is done, and finding new, better ways to improve things and make things better. The right and, and a lot of these time, a lot of a lot of these guys that, that helped me out. I didn't know them directly. I didn't know exactly who they were. I didn't know exactly their rank or what agency or department they were working for. But I realized that uh, when these folks found out about it, I didn't realize how many people on that place like me. Um, and, and, and where I'm going with this, Cal, is when I came back into Baghdad Airport, I, it was almost like getting uh, like I was a VIP. Man, they couldn't expedite me through that airport quicker and sooner. And the guy that gave me the hard time that, 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 that ran me through the ringer for two days there at the airport with the Department of State and, and other guys coming out there, uh, basically washing their hands of it. It's like, really? Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, but I'm saying ministers and generals from Iraq stepped in and they took care of things. Uh, because of the people that I knew that found out about it and they went to bat for me. And, and the guy that, that, that kicked me out of Iraq, uh, when I asked what happened to him, where is him? Where is he? And, and the people at the airport going, we don't know. <laughs> he just, he didn't show up one day. <laughs> it's like, I'm just yeah. saying, do it. So I hear what you're saying. And, and, and a lot, of, and I'm sure there's plenty of guys that have had that experience. If, if, you know, sometimes bad things happen to us. You know, I mean, I've had my incidents where I had to go home for two or three months and then came back uh, when they realized that, oh, yeah, what he was saying was right. What he, you know, and and you get a minor promotion and you get a better gig and everything else out of it. No, what you're saying is 100 percent right. It, it is a people thing. You got to treat people right. Both the host people, uh, the third country nationals, uh, you know, the Westerners, all of them. You're right. Um, yeah. And uh, so and everybody's got their part to play. And uh, as long as they realize that you're you'll do what you can to help them out. Man, you're right. I mean, that integrity and ethics are everything in that business. And uh, I one of one of my personal one of my personal things is I I have made it a longstanding policy to actually abide by the uh, like if it's a dry contract, which most of them are. I'll abide by that like a hundred percent because if you know, there are three B's that will kill a cop's career and a contractor's career. You know what those B's are? Tell me. I probably do, but I don't. Yeah. 
It's booze, broads, and bills, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those three things will kill a guy's career. And, uh, yep. So, you know, I'll, you know, I, I got a lot of guff about that at times. Like, oh, how come you don't drink or we can't trust you because you don't drink on contract? And it's, you know, at some point, it's like, look, I'm here for you guys, but I'm, I'm mainly here for my family. Right. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to jeopardize that. Um, I did make an exception though. I did make one exception. It was the night before I got sent home, uh, for telling my guys to stand down and, you know, backing them up on it. Uh, one of the guys came up to me. It was the middle of the night. I was feeling really down. I was packing my bags because, you know, I had a, I had a, uh, uh, a movement scheduled to get me to the airport, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, the guys, you're like, some of your guys are taking you to the airport, you know, yeah. to get you out. And, uh, I wasn't feeling real good. And one of the guys came up to me and said, Hey, uh, we need to see you in, and I get kind of choked up about this because it was, it was really cool in a way. And funny too. There's a funny part to it too. One of the guys came up to me and goes, we need to see you in the, in the barracks. And I'm like, uh, I'm off the clock. Like you do realize like I'm no longer, you know, working. I'm not even the deputy project managers. Like just come on. So I go in there and the entire detail was in one of the rooms, like <laughs> squeezed like 25 guys into this teeny tiny room, you know? And, uh, they're all there. I'm like, what's going on, guys? And um, one of them pulls out a bottle of alcohol. Now, I'm, I'm being vague about it at this point because there's a funny aspect to that, too. Pulls out a bottle of alcohol and pours everybody a shot worth of this alcohol. And they gave me a toast and thanked me so much for, you know, being there for them. And they just were kind of like celebrating might they weren't celebrating that I was leaving, but they you know they were celebrating me and they were right. just expressing thanks and gratitude. And so you know, first time ever on contract, I take a shot of this alcohol, and I'm looking around the room, and everybody still has like a little bit in their glasses, and like their eyes are the size of dinner plates. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm looking, I'm looking at my empty glass. I'm like, okay what's wrong now because they were all dead (laughs) silent they had bought like a 250 dollar bottle of scotch wow (laughs) and i i i shot this thing like it was jack daniels you know (laughs) i was supposed to be sipping on it Um, and they're like dude you know how much that was worth i'm like i have no clue and they told me i'm like oh i'm so bad yeah so bad they poured me they poured me another little shot and we sat around and talked and joked and, you know, hung out for a little bit. But, um, you know, the integrity, the, the personal integrity thing um, has carried me, carried me a long way. And I'm not saying I've been perfect, but I've done my absolute best where it's come to the guys that I work with to be spot on with them. Because if there's one, so this is kind of, you know, this is kind of what we were talking about for the format of this podcast is people, 
differences between law enforcement, military, and contracting and stuff like that. Um, you know, one of the hard pills for me to swallow in law enforcement was that um, I, I would say like 70% of the guys kept their stuff in law enforcement, kept their stuff locked down. You know what I mean? Like their personal life did not spill over into their mm. professional life, but it was only 70%. And so these guys are walking around with badges and guns and they are, um, you know, putting people in jail for crimes committed. Um, and I saw things in law enforcement like guys that I worked with calling for wreckers to get their vehicles out of ditches in the middle of the night because they got no drunk driving accident. And then they'd turn around like the next day, like it never happened and go out and arrest three people the next night for drinking and driving. Right. Um, I saw guys in law enforcement be essentially sexual predators, like going after girls because they had, you know, uniforms on and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and that was really hard. It was like, guys, we're, we're supposed to be, we're not supposed to be angels. Like I'm not that naive, but we, we got to at least keep our, if we are supposed to what is and their jobs mean symbolically and literally, then we got to have our personal lives locked down. I mean, we got to be better than that. Right. Um, and so it kind of tarnished, you know, I would see guys that were excellent cops, but personally they were just like wrecks. And, huh. and it was hard for me to watch these guys like put other people in jail for stuff they were doing. Right. With no consequence. Right. Well, you get around all these military guys and it's a different story. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's a certain class, uh, for lack of a better term, of people that contract outside the United States um, that at a certain point you realize you, you've come, you know, you've matured to a certain point. Um, you've had enough experiences. You realize to some extent what you just said, hey, we've all made mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes again. Uh, but let's not hold ourselves to be holier than thou. Okay. Uh, so when the guy makes a mistake, unless it's crucial and it just can't be overlooked, uh, you know, give the dude a break. You know, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. Um, uh, you know, so just lighten up a little bit, uh, you know, and, and do what you're telling other people they should be doing. Okay. So like you said, you know, if you're telling me don't drink, it's a dry contract. Okay, fine. But don't let me catch you drinking. Don't let me find out that you were drinking. Okay. Um, especially if you just gave me a hard time about it the other day. Uh, yeah. So uh, we call that hypocrisy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I still, like, whenever, if, like, if I'm in a supervisory role, I still communicate very clearly to the guys that work for me. Don't put me in a position of lying for you. Right. Don't, don't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I right. mean, like, if if we have a problem, so so I I walk when I'm in a supervisory role, I walk this, I walk a very fine line uh, between loyalty to the guys and loyalty to uh, my employer. Right. And um, 
you know, I've told employers before, I'm like, if, if a problem arises uh, with people working for me, the reason why you've hired me is so that you'll never know it happened and it will be taken care of. Right. And I've had employers look at me and go, okay. And then I'll look at my guys and go, look, I know, I know we're all not angels here, but don't put me in a position of lying. If something comes up, we'll deal with it as best as we possibly can right? Um, at our level and it won't go any further, but it right. will be corrected. And, and that, that, so back to the differences for me and my experience of law enforcement and contracting with military guys is the things that I learned working around military guys is there's all this, there's this internal gauge of nobody's going to take this harder than I am, mm. right? So, like, I, I have a guy that screws up, and he's in his room pouting. And you've done this too, Scott. You know how, like, guys, like, mess up, and then they lock themselves in their room for three days? And the <laughs> off? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guys. I never locked myself in my room. I wanted to. I kind of maybe walked to work the next day or drove to work the next day with my head down a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're just dead silent, right? You're you're like, oh gosh, I can't even face the guys, right? Because everybody knows, right? right? It's a brotherhood. It's a family, right? Everybody <laughs> right. Knows. Um, but military guys, you can count on them to have this internal taking something hard, being hard on themselves, and then correcting it. Right. That's what's really, whereas with with law enforcement, unless you actually, and, you know, you were at it, or it was a, it was a legal issue that made the public uh, consciousness, you know, either in paper or in the news or something like that. So there was very little accountability. Um, so what I really like, and it's one of the reasons why I continue contracting, I love working with guys that 99.9% .9 of the time are spot on amazing professionals. Right. They have managed, they have managed to segregate their personal issues from their professional issues. And I think that's something the military brings to bear um, for guys when they're in the military and when they go contract, you know, I mean, a military guy, uh, when he's got to get up and be in formation by zero four thirty for a five mile, you know, uh, company level run, and he's been drinking all night. Guess what? He's going to be there. He'll be puking, but he's going to be there. <laughs> right. and he, you know what I mean? Whereas with law enforcement, they're like, yeah, I'm just not feeling up to it today, you know. And and so I love the professionalism that military guys have. And so one of the things that was nice for me leaving law enforcement was. Um, there was nobody hiding behind a badge. Huh. They weren't, they weren't, you know, I, and I know you can relate to this. And I, I hope a lot of people that are contracted can relate to this. A lot of guys are just shit shows personally. Yeah. But when it comes time to work and do the job, man, you, there's nobody else you want, want more than those guys to be there with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've been and, around and, and worked with my share of them. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. And so that, that was, that's a beautiful thing for me is to, right. to go. Well, I right, think we're I, here because of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, go ahead. No, no, no. It's a beautiful thing for me to, to, to realize.
realize that there's a place where you are there based upon your abilities, your ability to perform, um, your ability to be task and mission focused, and um, you aren't hiding personal issues behind a badge or behind a uniform or a perceived, you know, perception that the public or expectation the public has of you. Right. Um, and, and it's just nice. I mean, you're, you're, you're there to work, you're free to work and darn it, 99.9% of the time the job gets done, gets done well. Right. And that's, that's why I left contracting. Well, yeah, what you're saying is a very important thing that I've brought up to people in my circles. Um, you know, uh, those that are around me the most, like my, my wife and, and my children, it's like, you know, but there's other people, it's like, there, there's a lot of people, most people, a lot of people are, are hiding behind some sort of a public facade. We got a private face, we got a public face. And most people become really good at putting on the ritz out there in public when they go to work or they're outside their house or whatever. Okay. And, and you know, you know what I'm saying? So you go to church. Okay, and people are very cordial, they're very polite. You get out of the parking lot, you start driving around, you see the fish symbol on the back of the car, and they're the one that are cutting you off and flipping you off. It's like, really, dude? <laughs> Didn't I just see you at yeah. church? <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, and, and what you're talking about, you know, I've told my boys, I said, look, you know, and I used to argue with about my wife, and once in a while we still do. It's like, look, they're grown boys. You know, and I told my kids, I said, do what you're going to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. The only thing I say, the only thing that really, really matters is that you get up in the morning and do what needs to be done. I don't care if you stay up all night playing games and get drunk. I don't care. Get your stuff done. Just be a man, get up and do what needs to be done. That's what I care about. Can you get the job done? Do I got to remind you 10,000 times? Do I got to look over your shoulder every day? No. So I think what you're saying are, are the important factors. That would it be nice if the guy would polish his boots and, you know, wore clean clothes to work? Yeah. You know, would it be nice if he shaved and cut his hair? Yeah. But is this guy, can you count on him? Is he trustworthy? Can you believe what he says? And can you trust him to get the job done and be there and, and, and have your back uh, when you need it? Those are the things that we're talking about, the professionals. Because uh, we all got personal issues, so I don't want you know I really don't want to hear it. So as long as it doesn't, as long as you don't affect me at work, as long as you don't affect the job, the contract, and it doesn't spill over to other things, I don't care, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what we're talking yeah. about? Uh, big boy rules, I think, yeah. is one of the things we used to call it. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly what we're talking about, and it, it's you know it's. Just and especially in certain AOs, you know, depending upon where you're contracting, uh, they're just places where you can't have um, anybody but real competent professionals because um, it's just too dangerous. I mean, it, it's it's a whole different feeling when you're a cop and you're working your jurisdiction. It's your territory, right? It's your it's your home court advantage. But when you're and, and this is just one experience that I've had is when you are white skin tone and speaks a different language, guess what? It ain't your home court advantage anymore. Right. And you you've gotta have you gotta have people that are responsible, accountable and self motivated. 
by, yeah. by the way, so for for a while there, I was playing with the idea of becoming a pastor, hmm. and uh, and uh, I noticed something over the years of going to church, um, which is really funny. You brought up, you know, cutting you off and giving you a finger and, you know, the whole <laughs> this symbol. I noticed something. So, you know, I've got three kids. I was married. And um, it was always like a whirlwind of just the most unholy, ugly activity trying to get out of the house on time to make it to church, right? Mm, People right. are running late. They can't find socks. You know, your your wife is, is still doing her hair. You know, it's just, you know, people are barking at each other. It's just like the ugliest of human nature trying to get out of the house to get to church. The funniest, the funniest thing I noticed over time, and I, I swear I could do a sermon on this, is the most transformative moments in a Christian's life are the 30-second walk from their car to the church doors on Sunday morning. You will never find a holier bunch of people than when they get out of the car and walk to the church doors because now they're all their smiles, they're polished. When just, you know, five minutes before they were practically hating each other. Yes. To, just to get to church on time. So, yeah. Well, and that's anyway. what I'm talking about. And, and that fits into the, the whole fitting in on, on a contract, you know, and I don't know now. I've, I've heard that there is, depending on the contract, there, it's still there. But there was a time when there was a lot of psychological profiling that went on in in the uh, what, for lack of a better term, the tests you had to take, uh, you know, during your workup, and uh, because they wanted to make sure that when you got over there, that you were going to fit in, you were going to adapt, you were going to be able to do all this stuff. Um, so yeah, it, you had to take like psychological interviews. I remember doing that. You had to sit down with psychologists. You had to take the MMPI, um, you know, and it was it was really funny. Like guys would come out of their psych interviews with a psychologist, and like the more jacked up their answers were, uh, the healthier they seemed to be for the job. It was it was the guys that were like trying to be polished and put on the face and sit there in front of a psychologist who's now interviewed you know thousands of people to go overseas to, you know. Iraq, Basra, or whatever, right. and they're like trying to give this really nice, sweet answer, you know, to the psych interview, and the psychologist is like, "Okay, you're messed up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're messed up. You've got no coping ability." So yeah, but they don't do that as much anymore. Huh. They okay. Don't. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I, I'm. There's a lot of things that that I'm sure have changed. Um, like we talked about everything from psych profiles to pay to to a lot of other things that we haven't really touched on. Um, and I think a lot of that just harkens back to the fact that uh, the war is wound down. Uh, the intensity is not there. Uh, you know, these are now peacekeeping missions, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, we have a very we're supposed to keep a very low profile, very small footprint, very small presence. Uh, you know, but, you know, things could, you know, I guess that's to be expected. You know, if you're actually conducting combat operations, if you're actually doing what's called a war, even if Congress doesn't declare it, uh, that's a whole different set of operating uh, circumstances. And, and things do change. And, and the, I mean, everything's different. But, uh, you know, the, the, the people that go over there now, from what I hear, the, you know, uh, usually they're the starter contracts, but not always, uh, are, are the ones where, 
we do the what's called the weeding out. You know, are these people cut out? Or are they ready for the next step? Uh, I'm sure you've encountered that, right? Uh, yeah, 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 I have. So what, what I noticed was like, so back to uh, Moyot, North Carolina in 2008, when I went through WHIPS with Blackwater, and then when I went through the WHIPS course again with DynCorp, they were, they were uh, vetting courses. Right. So for people that for the people that don't know, a vetting course is this is your resume, this is what you say you can do, and then you get there, and you're expected to demonstrate your capability of doing it. Right. Um, and with minimal, I would say really all they do is lay out their expectations. They don't even really train you on how to do it. Right. Now, you go to WHIPS, and it is literally a train up. Right. Like they teach you exactly what they want to do. Part of it is the Department of State getting their fingers into managing who they get. So it's its own weed out process. Part of it is that it's really hard to find guys who are willing to do the WHIPS mission specifically for less money than what it used to be. So what they've had to do is they've had to open up the, you know, for use a computer term, open up the search parameters recruiters have. And now it's, if you meet minimal criteria, you can get in a WIPS class and get on a WIPS program. Huh. Whereas before it was like, like I said, my experience, I had a guy walk up to me, former Marine officer, and he goes, you're not going to make it. <laughs> and, and, and he would have had every right to drop me without explanation at any given point in time. Now they can't do that as much. And ah. it's because it's because there are a lot of people trying to get in. Um, the standards have gone down. The uh, regulation on the part of the client has gone up. But there's no weed-out process that it used to be. Huh. Um, yeah, it's, it's not as stringent. So do you think, uh, for the people that are listening, um, that, that, that the caliber of people that are getting into contracting now is a different caliber than, than was in it, say, even as little as five years ago, but certainly 10 years ago? Ooh, man, that's a complicated question. So the short answer I would say is yes. Um, because the standards have gone up. Um, you know, it used to be, you know, contracts would only consider you if you had SWAT and a combat MLS from the military. Right. Um, but I would say that the caliber has gone down, and this is an, this is an individual by individual basis, right? Because you can meet great guys. I mean, like Josh, okay, who you, Josh Siebold, who you interviewed. Yes. Josh had no military, right? And he had no, he was just private. He was just a dude who got into security and then one thing led to another. And Josh is an example of excellent professionalism. Right. Okay. It, so individual by individual. He, he's the exception to the rule. Well, yeah, he, he is the exception to the rule. But I would say it's also generational. Like, I mean, think about this, Scott. We got kids, like my oldest, my oldest, my son uh, was in diapers when 9-11 hit. We've got kids that are serving in the military right now, actually that are serving under my son's uh, chain of command, who don't even, weren't even born during 9-11. Huh. 
Huh. So there's a, there's a lot that's changed. We got I I have the good fortune of being friends with a kid who is a ranger medic, and he doesn't even believe in the use of iron sights. Really? Yeah. You see, it took you a minute, didn't it? Like wrap your head around that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I had to because you know a lot of guys that I know, even the older guys, saying Scott, you got to go to this, you got to go to that. You know, and they go yada yada into these long explanations as to why. And and I say, you know what? I get it. I've used them. I know what you're saying. It's right. But I'm still one of those guys. If I can't be dead on and do what I need to do with an iron sight, this ain't going to do me no better. And I 100% agree. I've got maybe one guy that's older than me that would agree with your friend. But this young ranger medic, he's like, iron sights are stupid. <laughs> he's got technology. We and he's right. He's like, what's the point to become good with iron sights or to kill people? Like in the context of being a ranger, right? Right. And I'm like, well, yeah. When you when you put it that way, I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, ends justify the means. But so it's generational. I mean, there are things, you know, you, you kids are younger. Um, you know, they're very in tune with social media. Uh, they're they're yeah. used to having things handed well, to them a little bit easier. Well, yeah, they they are. And there's been a lot of articles and books written on that stuff. And I guess what I'm saying is that I am not – it's not like I – it's not like I'm anti-technology. Okay, that's fine. It's got its place. And I got no problem with all these sighting systems that people want to employ on their handguns or their rifles or whatever they're using. All I'm saying is that when it goes bad, when it breaks, when it stops working and it's no longer functional and you haven't got the time to fool around with it, what are you going to do? That's all. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah. well, why why should I look at the map? Why should I plead? You know, I, this happens all the time with my wife, you know, because she knows I take care of it now. She doesn't worry about it. But it's like I still when we go somewhere, if I haven't been there and I don't know if I wrote, I want to look at a map and plan it out so I know where I'm going and how to get there and po- other possible avenues of approach. And they're saying, why? Just use your phone. Use your GPS. Like, yada, yada. I said, well, that's great. What happens if it stops working? What happens if my phone breaks? What happens if I, you know, I mean, whatever. Pick your reason. I'm just saying I'll use it if I need it, but I'd rather know in my mind that I can do it with this, you know, with this ancient tool, <laughs> a compass and a map if I have to, you know. What are you going to do if you don't got it? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the quality of the kids, you know, it just depends on the quality and caliber of people getting in the contract. And it just depends depends on what you value. Um, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of attitude that comes with it. But, you know, one thing I found with, like, younger guys just getting into contracting is um, they are outside of the box thinkers. Huh. They think of things in ter- they think of things and in terms that because I'm older I don't think of. So in some senses you kind of have to let them go and go with what they know um, and trust that they you know they'll come out with the right solution to whatever a problem or outcome or navigate somewhere. Um, but um, I would say overall the folks that are getting into contracting are not there's there's no there's not as much skin in the game as there was when I tried getting in and there's even 
less skin in the game than there was like years before I tried to get in. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you, you really had to be a pipe fitter to get into contracting back in, you know, the 03, 04, um, time frame. So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, part of it's I'm just getting old and grumpy too, Scott. I, you know, I go to a contract <laughs> where there's, there's younger guys and I just kind of roll my eyes a little bit like, all right, here we go, you know. Um, and that's okay too, you know. I mean, it goes with it. Well, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, they, they, back when, uh, so-called mission complete, you know, in the spring of 2005, I think is when, it, when, when Bush got on the aircraft carrier and said mission complete. You know, after, you know, months or longer of callings for it. Uh, some point between then and 2007 is when the spigot started to open, if you will. Uh, you know, when they, and then certainly again by 08, 09, when, you know, during the surges and everything else started, uh, you know, and a lot of those old timers started going home. You know, the rules were, but there was a lot of things. I mean, rules were changing, so far agreements, you know, Iraq was now its own sovereign government again. I'm just saying, so a lot yep. of things, there were a lot of things that went into things changing where they didn't need guys that, you know, were one man armies anymore. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess, I guess what, what most guys, you know, are concerned about is do they have what it takes when the, when the going gets tough? You know, can they do it without technology if the technology is not there for them for whatever reason? Um, you know, can you trust them to make the right choice? And if they screw up, acknowledge they screwed up. And like we talked about earlier, take corrective action. Say, OK, hey, you're right. I screwed up. I made a mistake. Problem solved. Won't happen again. Um yeah, so I used to have a I used to have a saying when I was doing a, a lot of training, a lot of firearms training. It's like any monkey can pull a trigger, right? Uh, it, it it takes nothing special to be able to pull a trigger. It's what between it's what's between your ears that really counts. Hmm. And you know, one of the things I've noticed with younger guys is they have a tendency, or younger contractors, because it's not just guys anymore, but younger contractors, they have a tendency to ask for guidance on everything. Huh. Now what? Now why is that? You know, because that is a that is uh, something that kind of seems to transcend a lot of things these days. What do you think that is, is behind that? I think I think it's how we're raising our kids. I think it's um, the availability of information on like mobile devices and on the internet. Um, and and I'll explain that in a minute. And I think it's I think it's um, we don't teach discretion or thinking very much. I, I will say this about military guys versus cops. Um, you know, one of the, most of the time with law enforcement with cops is what you're looking for is guys that can operate within a kind of a pseudo command structure that can make the most serious of life and death decisions on their own without you know, calling into the talk, right? And we've seen it in the form of, you know, guys pulling uh, vehicles over and then getting in their shootout in 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, you, you have, police officers have to be able to make decisions on their own um, that fit 
a rule structure um, without, you know, without a senior senior NCO helping you guide your thinking. Um, guys that are, unless they're like in in special operations or um, are used to operating outside of a really heavy command structure, especially young guys when they get out and get into contracting, they don't have as easy a time making independent decisions and standing by them uh, as, uh, you know, guys our age or guys that have been around the block. Hmm. I mean, we have the experience. We have, we have the knowledge base. We have the experience to come up with good, solid decisions. Um, you know, as far as the Internet and the phone thing, uh, you know, if, if you're on contract and you're you're working, uh, you probably don't have your phone available to you to start, you know, asking questions and research stuff. And stuff, as you know, evolves so quickly. Uh, when something goes bad, it goes bad so quickly. You don't have the time to, you know, um, get on the phone and, and ask. And you don't have the time to, to go to your senior leadership and go, what do I do? What do I do? You know, right. you have to be able to respond and react and do your job. Um, so this is another issue with the vetting processes of what you and I were used to versus, okay, we're going to bring people in and train them, and hopefully they'll they'll put out a good product. Right. Um, well, you know, so. I, I I hear what you're saying, I think. It, um, oh man, brain fart there. But it's, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's almost like people are afraid to make a mistake because they don't want to be embarrassed. Uh, but it's kind of like the argument I used to make with a lot of people, including my wife. It's like, you know, if they don't skin their knee, if they don't get hurt, how are they ever going to learn? Okay. If, if right. you don't, if you don't become embarrassed because you said or did something that, the consensus is that was stupid. How are you going to learn? Okay. And, you know, my wife, and it's like, you got to let these people make mistakes. You know, you got to let them do the things that hurt them without killing them. I mean, it's like, you know, I used to tell my wife when she freaked out the first time one of my boys when at a young age decided he wanted to walk off the sidewalk, go past the, 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 what the, you know, that uh, medium between the white stripe and the, and the curb and go into traffic that's doing about 45 miles an hour. And I reached out and screamed really loud at him as I went and grabbed him and jerked him back. My wife freaked out and, you know, gave me a hard time for yelling at him. I said, what are you? I said, I said, it got his attention. He stopped. Otherwise he'd have kept going and would have been hit by the car, but he stopped long enough for me to get him and pull him back before he got hit by the car. So I, I use that frequently when I say, look, you know, that's what I'm talking about. You got to let, you know, I'm going to let him go do these things, but I'm not going to let him die. Okay. I'm going to let him climb the tree. And if he falls, he'll probably get hurt, but there's a lot of branches between him and the ground. So unless he just says I'm dead and doesn't do anything, he's got, he's got ample opportunities to grab a branch and, and break his fall, you know. I mean, I'm just saying, people. You, you know, I used to tell that to to the guys I was would sometimes training when they said, "Well, why? You know, that hurts or that embarrasses me." Or what? I said, "How you? How do you learn? How does a child learn? He puts his hand on the stovetop, it burns. Ouch! You know, how is he going to learn? Yeah. You know, pain. That's how we learn." Yeah, and I, you know, as far back as uh, like when I was training cops. 
during session, I'd, I'd say, look, if you aren't getting in trouble just a little bit, you aren't trying hard enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's you can't funny. Play it safe. You can't play it safe. Um, you can't play it completely safe as a cop. You can be irresponsible, um, but you can't play it safe uh, as a law enforcement officer. you you got to be able to push the envelope a little bit and know where that line is. Um, and same thing in contracting a little bit. Uh, the, the problem is, is now, like, again, there are so many people that want to try to get in that, you know, there's very, very small room for margin of error on that because uh, they can have you replace, you know, window or aisle, chicken or beef, like <laughs> almost immediately. Um, yeah, you're I never, uh, I never did make a decision on that, by the way. <laughs> well, I never you, did make a decision. I think I think I always chose aisle, but, you know. Whatever. Right. Well, we knew what we would choose if that moment ever came, but right. I mean, we, we never had that happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, you know, I did in Afghanistan, but I mean, I, I think I chose aisle, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got to be able to push the envelope a little bit and, and still keep a clear head. Um, you know, I, you can't get all crazy in the brain and, and, um, I've seen guys with really good heads on their shoulders make dumb mistakes too. Yeah. Uh, there was a contract that was on. Uh, a couple guys were doing an airport run uh, that, you know, cameras everywhere on this vehicle and they decided to be fun to turn a certain portion of the, uh, the airport into a racetrack for themselves to see, you know, how fast they could get around this one giant circle around the airport. Huh. And uh, they, they got busted on it. They're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, what do you mean we have no idea what we're talking about? We know you guys are doing it. We're watching you on the GPS. We're watching on the on the trackers. We Oops. have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna pull the tapes from your vehicle and we're gonna see what happened. They're like, okay, go ahead. You know, like they're playing it to the hilt to the very end, right? Wow. Instead of just going, yeah, right. Instead of really jacked that up. You know, they played at the end, and they, then they, you know, they got fired as a result of that because they didn't just cop to it immediately. And well, you know, that's an important point because I mean, how many times have you and I heard that in the course of our careers and our life? You know, you're still going to get in trouble probably, but don't lie to me, okay? And uh, and, and and so we didn't lie. We told the truth, and sometimes we got schwacked pretty hard, but other times it's like. Oh wow, that wasn't so bad, because we were we were learning to be mature, responsible, accountable. Uh, you know, the kind of people that you and I have been talking about, um, the kind of people we want to work with, because you got to trust the person. You got to know what they're saying is true. You got to know that what they're doing, what they did, is exactly as they accounted for it. Right. Right. Right, and there, and you know, there's that fine line between brotherhood and like integrity as well, right? You don't yep. want to snitch anybody out for your for your indiscretion. Um, and certainly, you know, it's always funny. I, I learned this in contracting too. When somebody asks a question, like somebody in leadership asks a specific question about something that went wrong, and the entire group of people goes silent 
Like they don't even say, I don't know, or whatever. They go silent. That's when you know everybody in that group knows exactly what Right? Oh. Inside you're going, shit, we're busted. Or. Or, or we're not busted yet. You know, we're just, we're, we're just not going to say anything. We're going to hope that this <laughs> moment just goes by and pretend that the dude asking the question doesn't. Even, I've, I've had that recently where uh, I was on a gig and we were, we were sitting at a table and uh, I was with the guys that I was working with and one of the senior leadership for the contract came up and asked a question about something that happened. It wasn't pointed directly at us. Actually, it wasn't even a question. It was just making a statement about something odd that had happened. And you could hear crickets at the table, man. Like, it was just like, because every last one of us knew exactly what he was talking about, but nobody was going to cop to it. But, but when you're, you know, at the end of the day, when you're directly confronted with somebody, you know, it was something and somebody says, Hey, did you, you know, do this? You know, I, that's why I, t- I told you before, man. I tell my guys, never put me in a position of lying. I right. will work with anything. Right. I will literally help you bury a body if that's what you need. But don't put me in a position of lying. Right. We'll we'll try to figure it out or, or make it work. Right. Or or not. I mean, I, I can't I can't promise everything, but you know. Right. Well, and, yeah, and and that, but that that's an important you know thing when we're talking about leadership. It's like I frequently tell guys, say, hey. You know, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. If I can, I will. You know, and that's, you know, and, and I don't mean that facetiously, but I mean, if I can, I will. If I can't, <laughs> you know, I'm going to put my career and my family in jeopardy because you screwed up, you know. Um, so right. if, it, if it can't be done, it can't. But if it can, yes, I will. Uh, but let me ask you. Yeah, so, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna all I was gonna say real quick is I love being able to look at my uh you know, whoever I'm responding to, whoever I'm responsible to, my leadership and going, It's handled, there's nothing to worry about, you know, don't worry about it, we're good. Right. And I love I love being able to do that and having your leadership look at you and go, Okay. Right. You know, situation done. Yep. And and then you go back to the people that are working for you, you're like, It's over. Don't let it happen again. Right. Yep. 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 Uh, so let me ask you. So you you've had a pretty uh, stellar career, um, and you had a pretty good start to it. Um, do you think that your career in law enforcement? Do you think there was anything about it? Because it sounded like you know you did some things that were a little bit different than a lot of guys that get into policing. But do you think that your career, your time as a law enforcement officer? Do you think any of it prepared you for what you got into as a contractor? So I would say some hard skills did. Uh, like, you know, I'm not the greatest shot in the world, but I can shoot. Um, I know how to clear room. Uh, I knew how to drive. Um, I understood, you know, mission, you know, like, uh, Op orders and, you know, mission prep and stuff like that. Um, I understood rules of use of force. That was a very easy transfer for me because I used to hammer that with cops. Hmm. So when, you know, you started contracting, you're like, okay, this is what this means. Um, navigating new places helped. Most, really hard skills did, but you know what? Nothing, nothing could really prepare me 
um, I, there was a learning curve for me, and it, part of it was, okay, where do I fit into this kind of alpha male environment? Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say, like, I was, like, the uber alpha male, um, but I, I, I just figured out pretty quickly that the way that I needed to succeed, and I had to figure this out on my own, was that I couldn't – I had to shut up and keep my mouth closed a mm. lot. Mm. And at some point in time, I would be asked to speak or asked what I thought. And that was the moment I knew, okay, you know what, now I'm making headway with the guys that I'm working with. Right. Oh, but, man, that is that um, is so perfect to hear that uh, yeah. because a lot of us have had that experience. That's great. Yeah, well, as a cop, you're you're hired, and then you're given a badge, a gun, a car, and a whole set of rules and laws and stuff, and you are counted on to go out and handle and fix situations in five minutes that, you know, taken 15 years to create, and you're counted on to – you're hired for your ability to think on your feet and operate independently. And contracting, especially if you're in a team environment um, – Man, it is just so important to sit down and shut up and listen and learn, um, learn good and bad. I mean, right. you know, there's always – I didn't know about that guy. Uh, like, that that wasn't a concept in my vocabulary until I got into contracting. Like, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be that guy. But once I understood what that meant, man, I really understood it. Right. And, um, <laughs> and I, I took to it because um, – you know, that that was part and parcel. It's not that I'm, you know, some teetotaler about drinking, but that was part and parcel. I, I know that when I drink, I can be that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, so that's one reason. For one reason or another. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. So, no, I, I wouldn't say it prepared me. Um, I had one experience that really prepared me for Haiti and that really prepared me for contracting. And it was an experience. And it was, I did... I think it was like two, three weeks down in Biloxi, Mississippi, right after Katrina. Hmm. And the thing about that experience is when you are in your own backyard, the continental United States, and you see a city that is completely decimated by destruction, like buildings leveled, um, absolute bedlam, total, you know, total lack of law and order, um, you know, it, it it blows up your mind a little bit. Hmm. And that's something that military guys that work outside the wire have the advantage of is they either get to create that or they see it by traveling. And so that experience down in Biloxi really, it made an impact on me. And then after that, I started going down to Haiti and Haiti just consistently looks like Biloxi, Mississippi did huh. after Katrina. You know, there's uh, been several missions down there. It it, it, it it just never ends, huh? Yeah, yeah. Haiti. Oh my gosh, Haiti. That's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> when you, um, but when you start going overseas and traveling, and you realize, so you know, this is kind of a personal opinion thing. Uh, a lot of people share it, but you know, when you start going overseas and you start seeing how other people live you really, really think and appreciate what you got here in the United States. Yeah. So when I hear Amen people to that. crying about, 
Yeah, when I see people crying about how hard they got it, I don't dismiss the fact that people have hard experiences. Right. But, um, you know, I can still be empathetic to people that have have it, quote, hard here in the United States. But really, on on whole, on the whole, we've got clothes, we've got food, we've got running water, we've got nice places to live. I mean, I, I – you know, where I live now, if I took a Haitian family and showed them my place, they'd go, how many families live in that place? Right. And it's an apartment just big enough for me and maybe one or two other people. Huh. Um, so perspective really, really matters. And uh, the, the, the experience down in Biloxi really started shaping my perspective because mm-hmm. there were people that were homeless. Uh, their entire lives were destroyed. No, you know, no food or water. But then you see, like, the drug trade never skipped a beat. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, uh, it, it was still going. Um, it, you know, you you gain perspective. Um, and, you know, when you're a cop, you're talking about experiences preparing you for contracting. When you're a cop, you become cynical because you walk into homes that look like yours, right, on the outside. And then on the inside, you have, you know, domestic violence, you have sexual abuse, you have hoarders, you have, you know, and, and, you know, one of the also nice things about going into contracting was I didn't have to spend 90% of my time with 5% of the population, mm. which really made me judgmental. Huh. So when I go into this contracting world, it's like people are who they are and countries that have it that don't have what we have, those people live as their situation dictates. And and I became less judgmental fairly quickly, hmm. um, contracting. That's a good um, way to put it. it, it, it yeah, it was, it was nice. It was nice to not have to – it was nice to not have to feel cynical about people. But, um, yeah, if people – I would, you know – if people had the opportunity to travel more, and I don't mean like spend a week in Europe on a you know high school field trip, I mean like spend a month in Bogor, Indonesia, you know they they would really see how good our lives are here on the right. whole. Yeah, you know, and, and those things are not lost on on those of us who've spent um, you know more than just a year or two outside of it. But you know, I mean, it's those are. What you're touching upon is the things that we talk about taking for granted. I mean, I yeah, I still to this day, you know, it, it's like God. All I gotta do is get up and walk over here, turn on the tap, I got water. Flip the switch, I got electricity. Push the button, the TV's on. Internet service, you know, blazing fast. Yada, you know, just the list goes on and on. You know, I don't have people shooting you, you, at me. You, I don't you, have you, explosions you in the distance. You know, I mean, you just go down the down the list. You know, I mean, it's just yeah, grocery you, stores you filled with stuff. Life. You can flush your toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just, there's so many things, to, you know, to be so grateful for. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember there was a time when, when my, you know, my daughter at the time used to say, you know, how come we're poor? It's like, what do you mean we're poor? You know, because we didn't drive around in a brand new Cadillac Escalade, you know, or we didn't have a half million dollar, you know, house or something, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, just whatever. And, uh, I said, you know, be grateful for what you got, uh, because, you know, what you see and, and you touch upon it, perceptions. I said, I, 
I said, some of those people probably are doing just fine, but I pretty much guarantee an awful lot of them are stretched to their absolute means. And all it takes is a bad paycheck and, and they're going to be scrambling. Um, so, but you know, uh, yeah, it just, there's so much to be grateful for. Um, I mean, we can, you know, people would debate and argue about that right now, the way things have been pretty crazy, uh, in this political climate, but yeah, no, the perspective that you gained working overseas, let me ask you, uh, what, speaking of experiences working over there, is there an experience or, or maybe a couple experiences that, that, that really solidified for you? Um, what we've been talking about um, since you've been working over there. In what in what sense? Well, everything from one of the reasons that that, that maybe humbled you and made you realize you really got it good, all the way to you know, uh, this is the kind of lifestyle that that um, you know I learned an awful lot. And this is what I learned, and it was this experience that taught it to me, um, and that's why I'm still doing this. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. And actually, this isn't probably going to be. Um, well, I don't know what kind of answer you expect, but this, this is definitely not uh, um, a standard answer. But for me, I really really enjoyed investing myself to the extent that I would be allowed to investing myself in the relationships with the guys that I worked with hmm. um, I was absolutely so so there's this public perception right marines and, and seals and you know whatever you know high end high speed low drag guy you got right that um, they're capable of solving all their problems and the world's problems too, and they're just uber strong and, you know, they're alpha and, you know, all this other stuff. And the thing that really, really impacted me the most and probably is the reason why I keep doing it is the very human element of what it's, it's their shared human experiences. And, you know, we don't give enough, credence to what we've asked our combat veterans our, our even our law enforcement the people that serve on behalf of the rest of humanity um, we don't give enough credence to how damaged people can become and what that means for them and so for me I was always very humbled by just by virtue of my own personal ethic and how I try to be and, and genuinely try to love your brother, you know, um, by guys who would come to me in private, just broken, hmm. like something got to them and something about their past experience, their work, maybe something is going on at home because of how they were acting as a result of their work that their spouses didn't like coming to me with personal problems and just sitting down and, and just being, you know, taking off the body armor, taking off the, the, the DD 214, taking off the resume and just saying, Cal, man, I am really, really fucked up about this. Hmm. And I'm, I'm 
absolute mess. Um, and just letting them talk and letting them, you know, combat veterans in particular, not a whole lot of them, um, like to talk about their experiences with just anybody. I mean, and, and I'm not calling myself a combat vet. Actually, that's the whole point of what I'm about to say is combat veterans. You've got to have a pretty special place to be trusted with the emotions and the thoughts and the, the, the consequences of somebody bringing their stuff to you as a result of being a combat vet and sharing that stuff with you. And that's very humbling, Scott. That's mm. very humbling. And, and it's that human piece of um, very human people who have done very inhumane things um, letting you into that world. And, and and asking you to just sit with them and, and share, not even share, but just share with them their experiences and, and, and just sit with them in that. And that's what I absolutely love hmm. about contracting. That's why um, that, that's been a very surprising thing for me is, you know, time and time again, being with guys that they could make movies out of, you know, right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not all uh, bit shine and polish. Are you familiar with the show, um, those NCIS series? I'm familiar NCIS with it. Watching. I know of it. Yeah, I've, yeah I don't yeah. watch them anymore, but yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I have watched a couple of episodes of both, <laughs> just because I'm time off between contracts and I can't read all day long. Um, <laughs> but I watched so Los Angeles. And uh, Hawaii are places for those shows. I've never seen more shootouts on any television show than I've seen on those two on those two shows. And the reason why I bring it up is because uh, violence is just taken so lightly. I mean, it's it's like mm. it's entertainment. And when you actually talk to people that are in the business of committing violence, yeah, they're comfortable with it. They had a job to do, but they don't live in this fantasy world about it. Right. Um, And so that, that, I think that's something a lot of people miss is like, they don't, you know, I know when I started, when I started contracting, uh, I stopped telling my wife at the time what was going on with work. Because in order for her to process it, she would turn around and make my stories her stories, and she would repeat them to other people that had no business hearing them. Mm. And so I, you know, this kind of contributed to my divorce ultimately was because I started shutting down. I just stopped sharing stuff that was sacred and and, and, uh, private. Right. Um, You know. But you know, you you made a, an important point there that that, that I think deserves a, a particular distinction is that <clears throat> excuse me the uh, you know the the fantasy world that's created by Hollywood that that you know I sometimes you know complain about and my family gets tired of hearing about it but they they understand it's like how is it that every movie we ever watch the good guy always cleans house, kicks ass, hits everything dead on, 
from uh, from several hundred meters out with a handgun. And the bad guys are at point blank range with automatic weapons and they miss everything. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. but my grander point is that, you know, Hollywood frequently gets this stuff wrong. Now, sometimes, you know, they, they churn out a movie that, that does a pretty good job of encapsulating what it's like. You know, and they've only got, you know, an hour and a half or two hours to, to tell that story, you know, so, you know, give them some credit there. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, what you're saying is that, you know, people that work in certain industries outside the continental U.S., where they're not in a um, retail environment overseas, it's a completely different thing. And, and, and people do change. They, you know, they, their, their perspectives on things change. Their, their, their thoughts and, and the way they, they think about life changes. And, uh, um, you know, and that, and, you know, some guys and gals, you know, they, they never make it back. Um, Figuratively speaking, um, so yeah. so with that, yeah, so I've, I've I've run in, I've run into that too, Scott. Where uh, man, I had a buddy. He and I were workout partners for a while uh, on a contract. Uh, Good natured, quiet, very gentle guy. Um, his resume. Uh, this guy practically killed more people than AIDS. When he was when he was in the service, huh. um, you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it by looking at this guy. But then he had issues with relationships with women, where he would fall in love fast, and then they would break up with him. Huh. And I lost I lost touch with this guy. And he and I were very close, but you know he eventually ended up uh, committing suicide because he just couldn't. He, he, that was one aspect of his life that he needed to have together that he couldn't get together and it, and it mm-hmm. hurt him. And, um, you know, that, that, that's something else that softened me up a little bit is to not be quite so judgmental. I mean, what, what, like I said, when you're a cop, man, you got to have stuff wrapped up in five to 15 minutes pretty quickly before you go on to your next call, right? So you got to make assessments and judgments and determinations and you got to have solutions and you got to decide what, what you're going to do with these people. And it makes you pretty judgy. You know what I mean? Mm. But then when you actually spend time with who people who have internal scars and they may actually be professionally just really shit hot, but personally they're a wreck, it softens you a little bit and, and you realize right. that you can't you can't just dismiss that. And, you know, I will say this for anybody listening. One of the worst things, it's the best thing in the world, and it's one of the worst things in the world about guys like us. The best thing in the world about guys like us is that when we're friends, we're friends for life, right? Yeah. And we can, we can, like, not talk to each other for years and years and pick up the phone and talk to each other and pick up, like, we left off yesterday, you know? Pretty much, yeah. The down. The downside of that is, is when you don't talk to somebody for years and years and they're in pain and they're isolated and they're going through their demons and, and, and then they don't reach out to you and you find out they did something stupid. Right. That is a real Achilles heel for the nature of how we handle our relationships. And that, so what I, my message on that is, man, if there's anybody that's suffering or dealing with demons or, or whatever, call somebody. Like, don't wait. Don't be too proud 
to think that you're burdening you're burdening somebody with your problems right because this world is a hell of a lot better with you in it than it is without without you in it and wow uh, right wow you know well, let me ask you, since since you're on that point, uh, we're pretty much at wrap-up point. Uh, let me ask you, uh, do you, and maybe you've already done it, uh, but do you have a, a special point or takeaway, a golden nugget you'd like, you know, a, a final thought you'd like to leave people with, something to, to keep in mind? Specifically with contracting, like contracting Whatever. Life? Yeah, that, anything else. I mean, it, it can be a, con- a conglomerate. <clears throat> Yeah, so, wow. My nugget would be do what you say you can do. Be a man of your word and of integrity. And don't be afraid to ask for help. And I don't just mean that like in that, you know, heavy point I was talking about guys committing suicide. I mean, like when you're working on a team, it's okay to have the humility to go, man, I'm not real comfortable with this. So be a man of your word. Do what you say you can do. Don't lie about it. And have the humility to say, hey, I need help. Hmm. Those, three, those three things have basically gotten me by um, in contracting and it's they've paid dividends for me i believe right wow uh some good information there uh for everybody that's listening um we you know we could go on uh and we probably will uh you know so before i go too far with this closing i'd like to um um you know welcome and ask uh cal john reed uh, come back and do this again uh, at some point in the future and uh, do a follow-up and continue uh, with this discussion uh, at another, at a later date. Uh, yeah, that'd be, man, that'd be awesome. Maybe we could do like funny stories. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I, we could do, we could do an hour just on funny jacked up stories. Of <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that'd be good. I'd be glad to come back if you'd have me. Uh, oh, I'd love to, love to. I really would. Um, I've enjoyed all of our conversations prior to it and with, you know, and I gotta, I gotta thank, uh, Cal for, for being so patient. Uh, you know, the, the technical glitch goblins got in the way of this and it took us a while to get here, but, uh, uh, we got it sorted out. So I want to thank him for all of his patience and perseverance in this. Um, you know, a great guy. He's got a great career and he's been at it for a while. And I doubt, I, I have no doubt he'll be doing this for as long as he wants to. Um, when you get to that point, you've got, you've got everything it takes. People want to work with you. Um, you know, so uh, in closing folks, uh, there's a lot out there, you know, if you've got resources or information or stuff you want to share that you think would be beneficial or helpful, uh, to anybody that needs it, might want it whether it's a, a resource link to a website um, or, you know, a phone number, you know, some new, some company or agency or entity that's been out there or is, is out there, uh, pass it on. Let us know. Um, I'd be happy to post it and, and pass it on to other folks. Um, so you can send that to uh, info at uh, OconisTCL.com or OconisTCL at gmail.com. 
Uh, and also, um, if, if you like what you're hearing and you are a contractor or were or know somebody who is uh, that would like to be a guest, uh, send us, uh, let us know that. Um, same, same email address, info at OconisTCL.com or OconisTCL at gmail.com. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, taking time out of your day to do this, uh, to listen. Um, that's pretty much all we got for you folks. Again, thank you very much. Uh, my guest was John Reed. So remember to be careful what you wish for, folks. You might just get it. Uh, stay safe, stay frosty, and until next time, keep it real.